the Diocese of Springfield, Illinois. This is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I am Amber Servany, and once again, um, I am being joined by Katie Price of the Diocese, the Director of Parish Vitality and Mission Advancement, and Sister Veritas Wilkes, Director of Youth Ministry and Women's Ministry. And if this is the first time you're joining us, um, we have kicked Andrew out, but only temporarily. He will be um, back on the next episode of Dive Deep. But in the meantime, the three of us have been diving deep into um, our greatest fears. Could you say our greatest fears? There it is. <laughs> it's really happening, happening naturally. Now. Yeah, it is. Like, like I really, forget I every time. <laughs> your, your face was great. Your face was really natural. It was really great. Uh, so we've been diving down into the, what we call the four pillars of fear. In week one, we looked at pain. Week two, we looked at regret. Week three was failure, and today is an interesting one because it's um, comparison. And before we dive into uh, comparison, we have to go back to our challenge from last week. And so this is, again, the first time you're joining us. We've had a challenge to help us overcome our fears um, because we have to be actively working out of our fears, right? We have to actively be doing something to overcome fear. And so our challenge last week was to pray with Psalm 139. And so well, this will be interesting, I think, to see what happens with all three of us, right? Katie, do you want to start what happened when you pray with one, Psalm 139? Yeah, so I, I think I will say this. Is I, first off, I love the Psalms, and I particularly really enjoy this one. Yeah, this is, is one of my favorites. And even when you, look, Katie's using a book. And it's a good one. Um, even when you, <laughs> even when you just start, oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. I think that and there were a variety of things throughout here. So um, coming back up here, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm wondrous, wondrously made. Wonderful are your works. I. Um, for me, when I think of failure and I try to get past it, it's acknowledging that God has created me with exactly the way that I'm supposed to be. And this will dovetail into comparison, I'm sure, later. But one of the things that I am drawn to in that is, you know, I was adopted. I was with a foster family for a while. And there's a, a person on this planet that gave the ultimate gift, which was my life. And you know, I think that ever since then, I've always tried to prove myself worthy of that, that I've always tried to, you know, think like I can't fail because I was given this great gift. And I always have this like worry that maybe it didn't go so well for my birth mother or birth parents. And, um, you know, I always have to kind of deal with that and at the same time think, oh, well, was I never wanted? Was I not? Right. Like why? why did I have that happen to a certain extent? And, and there's a lot of adoption stories that you hear about where people meet up later and it's like they've never been away from each other. And there's other ones that are rooted in, in further pain or, or kind of regret and all these fears of things that we talk about. And I think for me, it's a lot of the stumbling blocks that I've had in my life or the failures, even the hashtag funny fails that we had uh, talked about last week is, always for me comes back to that is that no matter what my starting story was is that as long as it's in accompaniment with Jesus and God and is oriented and, and my faith journey uh, it's going to be beautiful and it's it's going to be okay right and it's not the failure that defines me it's I'm defined because 
I'm wonderfully made and known by God and, and made in his, in his image and likeness. And, and that's beautiful in any way that somebody comes. It's like my mom always said too, is, you know, some moms have babies in the tummy and some moms have babies in the heart. And so I was always there. And I feel like God says that same thing about us, is that you've always been there. You've always been in my heart. I abundantly love you. And so maybe he laughs at our failures too every time, like, I can't, you know, walk on ice, which is, <laughs> I fail every time. Uh, but he sees us through those failures that we have. And so, and he's journeying with us. And he goes, I love you, period. It's not, I still love you. I love you. I'm there with you in that failure, and I still love you. So those things I think are beautiful, and that's what comes out to me in, in Psalm 139 is that, you know, I knew you before I formed you in the womb. I knew you, and, and I love you, period. Like, it's, it's a beautiful psalm, and it goes on for a while, but I'm like, you can stop there. I get it, and that's, and that's where we're at. And I think if you just read that over, you're reflecting on that psalm, it gives you the opportunity to remind yourself, wow, we are... Jesus is so cool, right? Our phrase, Jesus is so cool. We can get through it. We can get through the, the failures that we have or the things that we perceive as failure because it's not failure in his eyes. For sure. Do you want Is it my turn or your turn? Do you have turn? a funny fail? What? That was last episode. <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, I can. I go. One thing I just say as a, as a side note, um, what I think is interesting with women is is just definitely how relational we are. I love hearing what, you know, your perspective is and how it's just totally, I'm sitting here thinking, it's so, it's so not exactly where I went and how rich, how much, how rich it is when I get to hear your, you know, experience of it. And I know when I hear sisters, it's going to be something totally different and how I'm, how it becomes more rich for me when I get to hear that. I just think that's something really interesting with women in particular, that yeah. we love this idea of sharing, you know, sharing our experiences, sharing in, um, our opportunities and things like that. So I just want to say that I've enjoyed ladies being with you and, yeah, and learning. Um, so what, well, Psalm 139, um, not, I don't know if I can say struggled with it, but so the, the thought I guess that came to my head was, so how does God see me? Like that's the challenge, I guess, I, how I kind of took it um, and maybe that we had talked about and I, I kind of left out last week. But um, I read that, I kind of, I guess I see myself as like, um, one of a million or how many million billion boatloads. Right. So like this language of like, I'm unique. And he knows when I sit and stand, like I, I struggle to sit with that. And I struggle to sit with thinking about how God sees me because, um, I am a person who sits, I mean, the reason I can do a podcast on failure is because I have mastered it. <laughs> I, I fear, or not a failure and fear, like I'm afraid of all of those things. So that's sort of sometimes where I can sit in that cycle and not, and not spin it to be like, oh, wait a minute, I forget. I forget that this is what he thinks. Um, so, so I struggled to sit and think, and I, and I didn't come up with a list of words or thoughts that I thought he thinks of me. I just don't, I can't get there. I struggled with that. Um, but it does give me a moment of pause to be reminded that um, um, that hashtag God is cool, right? That he thinks that he has love that great that I can't actually understand it. Yeah. Yeah, and that he, I think about that wartime visual when somebody says, like, we want you. What was that from? Like, World War II, and it was Uncle Sam, and he points his finger at you, and we want you. And it's hard to imagine a poster of God, and he's pointing at you. That's, you should, I want you. Can we create that? That's actually a good idea. 
I yes. know, right? Let's do it. Like, Let's do I it. choose you. Yeah, that's... And it's him with his finger yeah. just point you. I'm writing that down. Because <laughs> I think that's a good point. I think you bring up a great, excellent point. It's hard to think of ourselves as God's not speaking. God is speaking to everyone. Yes. Um, the Holy Spirit acts through everybody. Um, and at the same time, you. Like, you. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of our days, when... when where we're, we may have that conversation and maybe we'll be so blessed to enter into the kingdom. There's nobody before you. There's nobody. It's you. Like he's having the conversation with you. You know, that's why it's like, I pray about like the only thing that I, when I think of failure is, you know, at the end of my days, all I want to hear, and I, it's hard not to get choked up when you think about it sometimes. So it's like, all I want to hear is Katie, my good and faithful servant. Like that is enough. Like that's like, that's it, you know? And so I think it's, I see. I even get choked up thinking about when I say that out now. Because like, what a beautiful day that would be, you know, in the concept of all things, no matter what failures, no matter what sins, no matter where you've been in your life, that God uniquely looks in your face and says, my good and faithful servant. And he says it by name. Like, that's, that's it, right? Mm-hmm. This is beautiful. Should we end it right there? Yeah, no. I was just <laughs> going to say, that's a wrap. <laughs> I was thinking we've now made it. We are now a, a real women's podcast. Because, because we had someone cry. Because we had cries. Because <laughs> we had cries. <laughs> well, don't worry. There's more coming on comparison. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, but it, it is that. I mean, don't you yeah. feel that way? I mean, when mm-hmm. you, sister, when you read Psalm 139, were you just, like, that's God speaking to you. Yeah. Like, that's it. Well, and I think I've been, you know, this is something I've done before. Being a religious sister, you have a little bit of an advantage of, you know, going through a novitiate and having formation classes and, in a unique way to a single or married or every other lay woman out there, you know, we, we have this time set aside and times set aside a seven day silent retreat every year, a day of silence and prayer once a month, a two day prayer recollection days every December. So we have all these things built in, you know, to help you to understand your identity. Um, and, uh, and that's, a beautiful gift that not everybody has who doesn't enter a convent, you know, say that sounds wonderful. Uh, What about you, Amber? Yes. Sign up for that. So in that (laughs) sense, you're, you know, at a bit of a disadvantage, you know, it's like the kids who in the summer get to go to like super expensive, like summer long basketball camps versus the kid who learns how to play by themselves on their own in their gravel driveway. You know, it's who's going to take longer to really get good at the game. You know, as a kid in the gravel driver, you know, you have more obstacles to overcome to be good at basketball. And so in that sense, I think you ladies and a lot of our, most of our ladies probably listening, even uh, hopefully there's still some men listening, um, have more obstacles to overcome in that sense of being able to hear the voice of God, you know. So in that sense, this is something that I've done before. And so I did... You know, I just, I started by, I kind of want to share my process with everybody so that maybe, because I don't think just reading and praying with the psalm one time is enough. I think it's something we need to be reminded of constantly, you know, and this is. Are you telling us that we failed at reading the psalm? No, no, no. No. I guess. No, because I'm prepping you for, I think I'm about to share something and you're going to be like, why doesn't that happen to me? You know, why oh, does it oh, God You're prepping to us me. to not see ourselves as a failure. Yes. Okay. And I'm also talking to anybody Phew. out there who might feel like, well, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do when I pray like this, you know? Um, how does this work? How does God really speak to you? But I, too, have had those times. I was just reminiscing with a friend recently. I've had, um, like, an index card from, like, five years ago 
this other sister, you know, I was struggling with some things. We've been having some heart-to-heart conversations, and she won. She had a holy hour in Adoration Chapel and came back and wrote on an index card. Like, she was like, I, Jesus, wanted me to tell you this. You know, when I saved it, but it was, I don't remember exactly word for word. I should have brought it. Of all my books that I brought, I didn't bring that one thing, but it was basically like, it was like, you are good because I made you. You are worthy, which I proved on the cross. Like, you are, you are mine, period. Something, you know, something to that effect, which is like really sweet and nice, right? But I remember her like giving this to me and telling me, and I remember being like, oh, why doesn't he talk to me like that? nice of him to tell you, but why doesn't he tell me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think we all have those times in our life where we doubt that God does speak to us and we, um, but then at the same time, sometimes we do hear him better through other people and through our closest friends. And I think that is part of being a woman too, is that's why we have our tribe, you know, our ladies to remind us who we really are and who we really look like. And um, so recently I found this index card and I showed it to the other sister and I said, do you remember this? She was like, no, I don't remember that at all, <laughs> which does lend authenticity to the fact that it really came from the Lord, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? Cause you gave it to me. And I was like, well, you told me that Jesus said that. And I was like, well, that was nice. Why didn't he say that to me? And she was like, oh yeah, I remember you making that face and saying that. Oh, <laughs> are you serious? So oh, I do think oh. if you're having, or if you have that experience in prayer sometimes or listening to other people's stories and think, why doesn't Jesus speak to me? There, there's a comparison, right? Is where all our journeys right. are different, mm-hmm. but it just takes time. And it takes building that confidence. I wouldn't say that I necessarily hear Jesus more clearly now than I did 10 years ago, but I have more confidence in what I'm hearing in the depths of my heart, you know? And I've learned a process of praying with scripture. And so I started by just, I wrote down my prayer so that I could share with all of you, like a simple prayer to ask Jesus to guide my prayer. So I tore this out of my journal because I don't want to bring my whole journal here. What if you're read something else that I wrote that would have been awkward are you gonna are you gonna glue this page back into it though now I'm concerned that there's this important page that's now missing no, from your journal it's gonna go in my pile of pages that I've ripped out of journals oh to bring to a conversation with people <laughs> yeah. okay that's good I have a whole set aside section for that okay so here's my prayer I started with I just made this prayer up Jesus I know you are here with me help me to be more aware of your presence Holy Spirit Spirit of Truth Side note, my name, Sister Veritas, means truth. I'm named after the spirit of truth, so I ask him to show me the truth about myself a lot, which is not what I thought he meant when he gave me the name. But as I've learned more about myself, I realize that's the really only the, the deepest truth he wants me to know. Spirit of truth, fall upon me in a new way and speak the truth to my heart. Show me how God, my Father, sees me, and then give me great confidence in this truth. And finally, Holy Spirit, help me see myself as God sees me more and more every day. So that's a simple prayer. We could all write something like that, right? A couple sentences, and then you, I can reuse this every day. So then I just read through the psalm. Obviously, I'm familiar with it. I've read it before, but I just tried to, with the Holy Spirit in mind, and I wrote down the lines that stuck out to me the most, verses 13 through 15. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm wondrously made. Wonderful are your works. You know me right well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately wrought in the depths of the earth. And so then I read my prayer again, and then I just, I was like, okay, Jesus, like, I want to know how you see me. Please tell me. And what I've learned to do, and this is what I taught middle school for five years before I moved here to Springfield, and when I was 
trying to encourage them and help them develop their faith lives. And they would be like, how do I know it's from Jesus and it's not just from my brain? And I would just tell them, you pray to the Holy Spirit and then you just trust the words that come. If a bad word comes, an evil idea comes, you can know that's not from God. But if you pray the Holy Spirit and something that in and of itself is good comes, you can trust it's from God. And so that's what I did. So then just every word that came to mind, I just wrote down. I'm not going to read them all to you because some of them are personal or particular to my life. But I'm going to read the ones that I think could apply to everybody who's listening. So when I, these are words that came to my mind. It's not like I heard a voice, but this is, I would say God was speaking to me. So in my mind, these words came when I asked Jesus, how do you see me? Beautiful, generous, daughter, beloved, mother, friend, neighbor, faithful, loving, special, mine, sister, good, worthy, needed, and love beyond measure in the depths of my heart. Right, so maybe those words didn't come to mind for the listener who's listening right now, but it doesn't mean that next time they won't. And it doesn't mean that God's not thinking this about each and every single one of us. And so that is a challenge, like you said, Amber, that was born out of failure, right? Our identity is not based on what we've done, whether it was a failure or a success. And it's also not based on our identity and what God thinks of us and who we really are is not based on who we are compared to anybody else. Right. So that's comparison. Right. I I was just thinking like, um, you think if, if you believed those things about yourself, then when you're scrolling through Facebook, you're less inclined to be like, look at her and her shaped cut sandwiches for her children. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, dude, there uh, is this lady that does bento boxes for her kids every day and they're beautiful. And she's just a cookie cutter on her sandwiches. Good, good and great, right? If you if you if you believe the things that um, get that I'm like hot lunch program, <laughs> beautiful daughter, yeah. the love, <laughs> right? I mean, but we don't do that, right? And I right. think that's um, why this fear, I think, um, resonates with so many people is honestly because of social media right now. So much. Um, we 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 take so much of our time, um, and we are sucked in to perceived lives of other people and then we then compare our not so great or maybe we think better either way wrong um uh, you know in comparison to what we're seeing um and it's teddy roosevelt who said compare uh, comparison is the thief of joy right um so you can't have joy you can't see yourself as god sees you if what you do is spend your time um thinking that Everyone on social media has a life that's better than yours. I mean, right? Right. 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 Right, yes. right sister. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, there's like an irony, too, with social media, right? There's, I find it a little bit ironic because it's, to the conversation now, is that people typically do post all the good stuff. So there is some good there, right? There's, there's the authenticity, authenticity I'm looking for in somebody's life. Like when I share something... Uh, outside with my kids and my kids are playing and no matter what season it is that that's actually taking place or happening, I typically try to capture some photos because I'm too cheap to get a professional photographer. So my professional photography is done on my Apple iPhone um, with filters and things. It's very fancy. Um, but I'll do that with my, my kids out there and I'll take those pictures. Those are moments of joy. I think there's a very big distinction when we talk about comparison of the things that are very authentic joy that we're sharing and that we're, but then there's also the masked 
right? Which is, I go on the Instagram feed, I'm going through all these moms of like seven, eight, nine children, and they apparently have all their stuff together. And it's, every picture is perfectly orchestrated and perfectly done. And their house is gorgeous. And I'm like, I think there's just like a hundred square feet they keep clean. Because it, (laughs) you know, like, I'm going to just shoot from this angle of the countertop so that I can leave the mess on the other side of it, right? And it's like, what is that rooted in? Well, it's rooted in not reading and taking to heart Psalm 139. It's rooted in all of these fears that we have of, you know, comparison and, and yes, but also failure and pain and regret and all those things. And so I think there's some good on social media, obviously, of people sharing the good joys and the blessings that they have. And at the same time, being able to distinguish between the two, right? This is authentic and this is real. And this is me comparison out of envy, right? Envy or jealousy of what that other person has that you're perceiving you don't have. Yeah, I think a lot of it is perception. And I think that, you know, social media is not inherently evil, but the problem is I think the evil one uses it as an opportunity. So throughout our lives, we're always battling with these, um, well, we have the voice of God. We also have the voice of evil, and we also have our own voice sometimes, which can go either way. But usually we tend to tell ourselves lies. And we don't realize that we're doing it subconscious. So, you know, we are, as we're scrolling through social media, as we're looking at pictures, even as we're out in public looking at other people's lives or just thinking about things we know about other people, it's not really objective. And we don't, we take that sometimes, we don't realize we're doing it, but we take that as a whole to represent that that person has something that I should have. Because, and I don't have it, therefore I'm not good enough. You know, and as we're scrolling through, we can hear, Satan can use that as an opportunity to whisper to us, like, you're not good enough, you don't measure up, you're not worthy, you're a bad mom, because you're not as good a mom as her. You're not as good a teacher, you're not as good a, we call you church lady Katie, right? You're not as good a church lady as that That's church lady. <laughs> yep. I'm That's trying to bring back a new, a new generation <laughs> of church ladies. Um, so it's just okay. like you're not whatever, fill in the blank, enough you're not as whatever as that lady or as that family. And that's the problem is, is when we take it and we don't realize we're doing it, we take it as a whole. And don't you, Amber, did you say you have some statistics about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's actually not right in front of me, particularly, so I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. But essentially, the study was um, on couples. And couples who um, spend a certain amount of time on social media uh, have an increased rate of divorce. They, hmm. they, it's 2 to 4% increased rate of divorce. And then those who aren't on social media, they can actually uh, measure an 11% happier by not. Um, and I just think that says, that says a lot. And I was just thinking, too, about an example that actually this morning I saw a friend post a picture of her husband uh, washing dishes. And she probably thought, and she probably thinks in that moment, this is great. My husband is, you know, doing this wonderful act for me, and, I, and she's capturing it or whatever. What I imagine was I can imagine somebody, somebody else, I mean, I'm not married, so I don't know, but I can imagine somebody else who's married being like, why doesn't my husband do the dishes? She's got a great husband, and mine's a lazy son of a gun. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then suddenly, um, suddenly you have this, like, your husband may have mowed the yard that night and tucked your kids into bed and suddenly you you've missed all this good thing because you're focusing on the fact that your husband didn't do the dishes that night based off uh, something that happened that night and that guy may have washed dishes and walked out of the house and never did you know you just don't know and so it's just interesting to me that we um kind of allow ourselves into that um I don't know if it's a habit or that thought process you know vortex of doom thinking 
Right. That's what I like to call it. What do you call it? Vortex of doom thinking. Vor- oh, the vortex. I thought you said like vortex, like a text oh, no. message. Vor- I was like, what's the first vortex. text? Message? Vortex of doom. It is a little bit because I think it's a spiral. And the way that social media we have to be very careful with, I think it... I always used to say social media, especially for the Catholic Church, we have the largest PR group in the world, and we're asleep. (laughs) We're in the garden. We're asleep. We have not woken up. We could change the game globally if we just went to social media in the holy way that we could, right? Like, when was the last picture you took of your family at mass? When was the last picture of somebody praying in a pew? When was the last time that you, you know, every time people see an event that's traumatic on social media, right? Whatever that event might be, what's in the comment section? I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll pray. Suddenly we have witnesses to the faith, but only in a time of disaster and not a time of generosity or gratitude. Mm-hmm. And it's, or a time of just ordinary times. You know, we always bash ordinary times in the church and there's lots of really beautiful scripture that is found there. So, so it's, I think there's, I've always, I've never wanted to be harsh on social media because I think it is one of the greatest tools for people that are Catholic evangelists out there. And I I think if Jesus walked around today, I think he would say he'd be the most tech savvy in the room because he was so incredibly desperate to get his message out. And so it is that it's, it's how do we disengage from the comparison game and get into the holy game, right? Of, yeah, if you want to compare yourself, then let's compare ourselves to, you know, people that are really walking the pathway of discipleship and journeying together and accompaniment, even during the hard times, you know, we're willing to share those hard times because we know that we do need to seek that relationship with other people. There is something to be said about a culture in which I'm willing to go and make a big giant vlog about a pain that I have in my life. Clearly that person is seeking and reaching out for support, right? I mean, you, you, you've probably seen those to a certain degree. Are people still vlogging? Is that, is that not cool anymore? Well, what do you know. call like TikTok videos? So some, I, I feel like that's all the time is like, I'll go oh, yeah. on like, or YouTube. But so I don't many people like YouTube. <laughs> I don't, I don't talk. I don't talk TikTok. Is, I don't oh, know. Snapchat, I don't, talking, I don't even know. I don't TikTok. I don't, I don't know, know, but like Snapchat, Instagram stories, you know, YouTube videos. I mean, people go on and, and they're looking for a community mm-hmm. that doesn't exist in the presence, right? Like the being present to another person. So I think it's hard because it's, I don't want to disengage, right? Because this is obviously a tool of communication and, and there's some good stuff. And at the same time, how do we balance that, right? Like mm-hmm. how do we make sure that we are not comparing ourselves to it? And you're absolutely right with relationships. I do see that often, even with my married friends, is that they compare themselves to that next family. They compare themselves to that next husband. Oh, well, everybody loves that husband because look at all these amazing things he's doing. And it's like, we, you know, it's glass houses concept. It's, <laughs> you know, the... Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's two things that are kind of striking me as you're talking. Um, so one, I, I obviously, I do social media, so I, I, I don't hate it. Um, but I, I, what I do, it is. Um, I mean, it's, it's my, my, I guess my line that I kind of say all the time is, um, it, it's not social media that is inherently evil. It's what we do with it. So right. it's like, right. you know, you're in control. Like, don't pretend that this is like placed upon you because how you consume it, what you do, the amount of time you spend is all, you know, on, on the, each individual. So there's that. But I also think we, I, I do think social media has upped the comparison game, which has upped our anxiety, fears, um, divorce, whatever you want, unhappiness, whatever you want to call it. But this is not new. Like, what's the Joneses comparison? When did that start? Oh, that who are the, they anyway? Keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up with the Joneses. That's yeah. been around forever. That's Socialites. not new. Yeah. Um, so it's not. It's certainly not new. We've just um, we've just upped the game 
mm-hmm. right, with social media, where we allow ourselves into that um, well, uh, weakness. I think, yeah, and you can fall into comparison in any realm of life. I mean, even in the convent, sisters can fall into comparing themselves to other sisters, you know. Really? Does that, that happen? Oh, yeah. I mean. Who's holier? Yeah, I guess I can't speak for other sisters. I can speak as a <laughs> sister, <laughs> you know, and I can say that it's just as tempting that, you know, you might not say, oh, she's holier than I am. But like you look at the, and it is the kind of the same idea we're looking at inherently good things that we admire about other people. And, but then it's what we do with that, celebrating that virtue in the other woman or the other family or the other sister, or does it then is the next step? Well, therefore I'm not that, so I sh- I'm not good enough. Yes, you know? so I think I think here it's important to distinguish too because there is that bit of there was a time in my life when I was you know I guess you'd say it's all kind of part of a conversion story that I had but mm. very much there was the comparison game I was playing with well I'm not holy enough like I I can't go to that Bible study because I haven't looked at the Bible in in 20 years I can't go to that faith formation program because those women are holier than me I can't you know there's there's a you know, so much more theology that they know. And I'm just not an academic in that field. And I think as Catholics, we have to be very careful of that. We are to meet as disciples. You are to meet them where they're at and accompany them. That's accompaniment. That's not competitiveness. That's not, I'm better than you, or I know more than you. It's not a, I'm, I'm going to sit at an alpha table with you and preach. One of the things they train you in alpha is that if you're a facil- facilitator, you facilitate, you don't preach, you don't teach, you just receive, you listen, right? And if we could approach culture in a different way, that might be a way to kind of, you know, put an end to some comparison games more, just willing to say, look, mm-hmm. I don't want to compare with you. I just want to be with you. I just want to be present to you the same way that Jesus did with all of his disciples. I mean, it's kind of naive to think that none of the disciples compared themselves to each other. Yeah. Well, we they actually did. know they did, right? They That's did. Yeah. They're actually saying, hey, right. who among us is the greatest? Exactly. But, a, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, just to take that a step further, I think that women who are confident in who they are, as we've been talking about, little steps you can take to grow in that, um, but women who know who they are in God's eyes and are confident in that truly live out their feminine genius and truly are maternal, receptive and generous, and when we live out of that, then we invite others. We call them higher without making them feel judged and without, you know, giving, helping perpetuate that cycle of, of comparison. Um, but I have um, a connection, two connections I like to make, if that's okay. Please. Yeah. I think they might lead us toward our challenge okay. for the week. Um, so this past week I was reading A Brief Philosophy on the Life Issues by Father Spitzer, Okay, I just skipped to the end, though. Because is it Spitzer? It is no. Spitzer. It is Spitzer? I think it's Spitzer. Spitzer? Father, okay. please forgive me if I'm saying your name wrong. <laughs> Slash, please forgive me if... <laughs> forgive whoever needs forgiveness. Um, but I was just trying to review for myself the four levels of happiness that he teaches. And I mean, it's not an idea unique to him. You know, it comes from many areas of life. But there are two things here that I want to point out. That one is, okay, so there are four levels of happiness, and the highest level is the one that leads to the most enduring and pervasive and deepest level of happiness. But what we're talking about here, um, comparison actually is a level of happiness. And so the first level is uh, the happiness I get from external things or from physical pleasures. So for example, eating an ice cream cone or getting a new car. Um, But the next level is comparative, comparative happiness. And we get this type of happiness by comparing ourselves to others and determining that we are more than or better than the other person. Um, I have more money than they 
do. I am more successful than they are. I'm a better mom than they are, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we can get stuck there. In any level of happiness, what happens is we get stuck there and then it becomes a habit. We start to live out of it and then it becomes our identity. So it's a backwards of what we've been talking about trying to do. Um, and I bring this up because Father Spitzer talks about how to propel yourself into the next level. So the next highest level of happiness is um, the happiness that you get from making a difference in the world. And what it does okay. is it takes the same qualities in yourself, the same desire for goodness, and instead of making it about I'm better than that person, it makes it about how can I use this quality to make a difference in the world. And so he talks about the silver rule. Okay, we've all heard about the golden rule, right? Yes. Yes. So I did not. I, this was news to me when I reread this this week. I probably read it before and forgot, but most every major religion talks about the silver rule, which is basically the idea of don't harm others. And even in the Old Testament, you know, don't go into a neighboring land and accept, well, this is going to be weird because sometimes God did command us to go into a neighbor, neighboring land and kill them. But basically, <laughs> you know, the don't harm others for no reason. So it's like, do no harm. It's the silver rule. When Jesus came, he was actually upping the game to the golden rule because the golden rule isn't just don't do anything bad to another person. It actually says, no, do good to another person. Do you see how that's like another, mm -hmm. another level? Right. And so he's saying that by trying to practice and just even thinking about that and thinking about in our lives, how can we move from the silver rule to the golden rule can move us from comparative happiness to the happiness that we get from making a difference in the world. And... I was thinking about this and relating again to feminine genius, and I was thinking about our particular gift of sensitivity. Okay, so bear with me here. When we are sensitive, this is a gift, like again, we can use it for comparative, a lower level of happiness, or we can use the same gift to serve others. And so with our sensitivity, we can be uniquely, as women, uniquely sensitive to how we look to other people, to what other people think about us, how, who we are in the eyes of other people. Um, True. Right, but we can also be uniquely sensitive to the needs of others around us. True. And so as simple as every day striving, maybe it's just you start with one thing a day. Maybe you set a goal for yourself, but just like thinking about every day, like how can I be more sensitive to needs of people around me and serve them with my gifts can help us move us to the next, the next level of happiness. Yeah, can I, if, um, I had pulled out a quote from Edith Stein okay. um, about the feminine genius, oh, which I think yeah. ties right to what you're saying, but it really struck me. Um, women naturally seek to embrace that which is living, personal, and whole, and that they are inclined to cherish, guard, protect, nourish, and advance growth. Women have a special way of bringing God's love into the world and a special way of extending mercy and relating to others, mm. which I think ties right, yeah. um, right in. I thought that was really amazing. And honestly, when you think about what we do in, in, with social media, the comparison game and, and all that, it, it's like what we do when we're not living our feminine genius. When, when we're living our feminine genius, we don't encounter another woman and say, she has this that I wish I had or, you know, how annoying that she's good at that. We don't do that because, you know, that's like, that's the devil. Like, that's Satan. That's the opposite of feminine genius. Um, so we get catty and gossip and all the awful things that women do when we just simply don't embrace our feminine genius, right? And we don't live in fear because we don't have to. Mm -hmm. Right. And we are. I think we're so sensitive to each other. It reminds me about the book that Amber gave me with the wine ladies, Women in the New Evangelization Created to Relate. When Kelly is, uh, the author of the book, is in this, like, this is, I don't mean to bring it to the bathroom situation again, but, but they're in this bathroom and they, this woman and another woman who's standing there with her, I think 
they're hearing somebody in a stall, this poor young girl that's just like bawling in the stall. And she's talking about this like long-standing relationship she made with this woman just out of both of them with a shared response. Not like Kelly was in there and then the other lady wasn't, but they had an immediate shared response to turn around and, and talk with that young girl. And it's like, I think we recognize those things and that's why some of our relationships that are open to faith and they're faith-filled and they're you know recognizing that we're in this journey together are such beautiful relationships that women have. It's because we're recognizing that we're sensitive, we're recognizing that we have this talent to respond. And when women do that together, it's really a beautiful example of God's creation mm-hmm. of us and why we're uniquely made for that mission to be sensitive, to be relational, to to respond. I mean, there's that's a, an incredible gift that women have for the church. Yeah. So Amber. It's been four weeks of podcasts, facing our fears, exploring our feminine genius. Yes. And I feel like you're about to send us out with a bang with hashtag challenge. I have, I have one. A challenge for challenge. the ages. It, it, for the ages? Well, that's maybe sitting at a little high, it's, sister. I don't know. <laughs> 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 um, I'm going to bring it down a little bit. Go and make what, a billion disciples. Right. <laughs> that are you fearless. You know what? What's interesting about that statement is like, how do you go and make a billion disciples? I know. One, one person at a time. So that is a little bit the challenge, ladies. Um, oh when, we, when we work collectively, collaboratively, when we are there for each other, when we're embracing our feminine genius, then we, we have nothing to fear, right? So the challenge is, um, even despite what's happening in the world, go get together with a group of women. And make it an opportunity to um, not gossip, not be catty, but to embrace your feminine genius together. But make a distinct effort to get together with women um, and embrace all that is good, that all that God made us to be, um, so that really we can conquer our fears. Yeah, and maybe ask the Lord, spend a little time in prayer asking him, Lord, who do you want me to invite to this group? You might be surprised Yeah, who he'll tell you to invite. Yeah, be not afraid. Don't be afraid. You have nothing to fear. Fearless. Challenge accepted. All right. Thanks, ladies. I've enjoyed uh, this four-week journey of an all-female podcast. But Andrew and Father House will be back next time. But this has been Dive Deep. And if you'd like to hear more episodes, go to dio.org slash podcast. Thanks again. <laughs>